0: what's going on everybody welcome to whiskey web and whatnot your favorite show about whiskey web and whatnot with y- your hosts robert william wagner and charles william carpenter the
1: third this is by far the best show i've ever heard called whiskey web and whatnot so you know yeah that's a fact if you like any of those things no, no, it's just literally the one called Whiskey Web and Whatnot hosted by Chuck <laughs> and Robbie. Like, this is the best one. Yeah. Of those shows. I would agree with that.
0: I haven't heard any contenders, but uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> right. So, Robbie, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you think wearing a summer shirt in the fall is still Okay. Yeah,
0: so that that's interesting because I haven't been. I put them away in the drawer where I'm not going to wear them because it's fall, right? And then it decided it's going to be like 72. So I'm like, well, mm. I'm going to get the shorts and summer shirts out again because oh wow,
1: shorts too. Yeah, like no jacket at all today. No jacket required. You are a Phil Collins fan, so I've that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> it's funny, like the context here for our listeners is that we did a swag run a little bit ago, and it's seasonal so there is a summer fall winter spring shirts and they're themed with our adorable octopus like creature and uh now that we're early november really close to the end of daylight savings time he's like i'm still gonna wear this pink summer shirt so that's the context behind this conversation
0: yeah i mean meanwhile you're wearing the christmas winter sweater but you have it turned inside out so no one knows Is it? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's true. So we're both in the wrong season. Yeah, but it's inside out. No one knows. Yeah. Well, I can turn mine inside out.
1: That's (laughs) why I can wear this because it's just the stripes. So it's the Viore sweatshirt that is you can go both ways with. I love it. I respect its privacy, but I wear it. Viore is very progressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Going both ways. Right. No, I get it. (laughs) All right. Let's talk a a little bit about whiskey before people decide to hell with this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Today we are doing the barrel seagrass. So I'm sure any regular listener knows that we've been a fan of some of the barrel options recently. So now we're trying the seagrass. Sorry to interrupt. I was just looking at this. Do you think it's barrel with the two L's? Right. But their logo looks like barrels overlapping and then with the two things. So I'm not sure. I'll need to do
0: more research, but I've been calling it barrel as well because it's like they what they do is get fancy barrels
1: to finish the fin. So I thought that's what it was. But yeah, I just noticed today that it has the two L's. Yeah. Right. And so you're like, is that a name or something else? I don't know. They are barrel or barrel craft spirits in Louisville. They just do the bottling, and someone else does the distilling. Pretty much, it seems. Yeah. So this one is a blend of rye whiskeys, both American and Canadian, says uh, distilled in Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee, and Canada. I blame them for everything. Then they are finished in three different kinds of barrels. One is rum, Madeira barrels, which is kind of like port dessert wine, and then apricot brandy. So that's interesting. It is a one nineteen point three proof. Mine's 0.48. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. Well, different barrel, I guess. Anyway, I don't even get into it. Uh, Let's see what's going on here. There's no age statement, so we don't have any idea, but they're blending all kinds of, so
0: Hmm.
1: at least two years. It does kind of light.
0: Smelling uh, some pineapple on the nose.
1: Oh, and you said that just as I was smelling it. So I definitely get some pineapple juice initially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's the apricot going along there. Or maybe mango. I guess it could be the apricot. Mm. Like a tropical fruit. You know, as a side note, I'm not a big dessert person, but mango sticky rice, oh, so good. you never had it. I don't know if you ever had that. No. I had it fresh, like some like fresh street food in Thailand too. Mango sticky rice was so good. It's basically just sticky rice, right? And then slices of mango over top, and then basically kind of like a little, little like sugar syrup. It's almost like a condensed mm. milk, but syrupy over top. Interesting. Yeah, it's good. Anyway, I'm gonna try this. Oh yeah, definitely get that apricot, dried apricot in there. A lot of that up front. Oh yep. And then I'm getting a little like, almost like the top of a creme brulee. That little sweet, sugary, burnt hmm. flavor a little of that then the rye starts to come in get a little spice a little burn on the way down that's just the first taste but that's very interesting
0: yeah i'm, I'm discovering that i must have done something to the roof of my mouth because all i can taste is when i take this it's like wow that burns the crap out of the top of my mouth like i have a cut or something up there
1: oh I was i say was it a cut or like when you actually just hot food burn your mouth and then oh yeah it might have been hot food that's terrible i can't remember what happened I had a sandwich today, so it wasn't very hot.
0: Yeah, I agree that this, very uh, apricot-y. I think it's um, Mm. similar to if you got one of those bags of dried apricots and just poured, like, a thing of whiskey in there. It's kind of, like... And let it sit. What I'm getting. And did
1: some kind of, like, yeah... Maybe flambe it, and then uh, you get your...
0: (sighs) Your little bit of creme brulee
1: there. Yeah, you gotta get a blowtorch. I don't really care again about dessert that much, but if that's a reason to get a blowtorch, that could be something. <laughs> well you don't have to flambe uh desserts. You can do whatever. Yeah, it's true. You Could crust your own steaks instead of doing it on a cast iron or something. Oh.
0: Yeah. That's what I I do a uh steak au poivre. Mm-hmm. And I uh put the cognac in there and light it on fire. Ooh. Yeah.
1: Might be interesting. So I've usually do just like a reverse sear of my steak so like slow cook in the oven to, to almost temp and then sear it so finishing that way would be interesting but i have a few times done um a sous vide steak mm-hmm. that's good especially if you get a fatty one and let it break down for a while yep i'm getting a little seagrass or not seagrass uh lemongrass on the finish <laughs> for me what is called seagrass yeah i just i subliminally had that in my mind maybe i like it i like it this is um now while it's heavily affected by the finish you know i don't know so is it a rye or am i putting it more in like a category of almost like flavored spirits in a way but uh this is really good i would definitely have this again i would definitely like encourage some friends to try it or share with friends which i may do i'm gonna give it a seven yeah i like it like this is good yeah, I'm going to say the same.
0: I'm very impressed with all these barrel or barrel or whatever. They do a really good finishing job. I mean, I don't know. We don't really know a lot about the whiskey they're starting with.
1: But uh, whatever they do after they get it,
0: it's uh, pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're sourcing barrels from a few different places. Every time I see Indiana, I always think MGP. But I mean, that doesn't mean it has to be bad. Yeah. you know, People make their selections. And if you make good selections from there... As many places do, then great, and some places don't, and that's fine. But uh, they're in Louisville, so maybe they have some connections there. I don't know what they'd be getting in Tennessee. Usually, people will say, like, Dickel is what they do, some barrels out of Dickel. Yeah. So, and they make a lot of stuff. I mean, I guess it depends how big their operation
0: is, because you could be a, like, craft distiller giving them some stuff, but... Why would you? You know, they wouldn't be able to make very much.
1: Yeah. So, like, you've got, like, your Greenbrier, Right. And they have like a uh, a few different things. Yeah.
0: They're like medium size.
1: Yeah. And they don't they're basically going to sell all their stuff. Right. They're not going to be able to really afford to. What you'd think is that basically they overproduce to such a degree that they can meet their own demands. Plus sell some off for any excess. I can see like Dickel going through something like that with some of their younger cheaper stuff being willing to like sell off some barrels to someone, you know, a small yeah producer like this. So, yep. It's an interesting business model too. Basically, someone else makes the stuff. You pick it, you brand it, and you decide kind of how you make it your own in a way by getting used barrels from yet other places and then playing around with it. Yeah, I think it sounds like the
0: fun part of making whiskey. because so I feel like you could do a lot of things wrong with a mash bill or like the actual distilling process, but once it's made, they're not all that different unless you've got like crazy mash bills. So then it's yeah. the fun part
1: where you can get a lot of different flavors is the aging. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can like continue to like make it more complex and whatnot, but, um, your ability to correct mistakes at that point, if you're starting with something that's decent, then, you know, you can continue to kind of play with that. And, oh, no, this IH over here wasn't that great. So let me add a little more rum barrel or something, and that'll kind of round it off. You think, like, if you do your own mash bill, and then you wait a minimum of four years and start tasting it, and you're like, this is hot garbage. Well, there's four <laughs> years of my life I've got to throw away and start it. for. So, you know, I guess there's that.
0: Yeah, no, that's the stuff you taste and you go, hmm, this is not good. I'm going to save it for a hundred years. Someone's going to buy it just because it's a hundred years old, a long time mm. from now. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know. You're going to save it for a hundred years. And apparently Robbie's going to be living a very long time to have a lucrative business in the future. <laughs> oh, I'm, I wouldn't sell it, but all
0: these distilleries will not all like, there's a few that'll have like a hundred year old one. Mm. Cause someone had the foresight
1: to like save some for that long. Mm. I have not. I don't think I've had anything older. In like 25 years yeah In bourbon let's just say 23 years or so was 23 25 is like my oldest and i did not like it it was just so yeah over oaked and woody and just harsh and just like yeah smack me in the face with a steve a barrel steve not steve a person because that's just rude that's Dave. you mean yeah i don't know steve <laughs> steve i don't know yeah anyway is it s-t-a-v-e Mm -hmm. or AI yeah I don't know I think I don't know it doesn't matter I just had a sandwich I don't know what to say (laughs) so on to the next segment it's a broader topic today and it's kind of uh, been bubbling up and then seems to really be top of mind in the Twitterverse yes in case you didn't catch in any previous episodes I'm back in just at least in Twitter not really any other social media it's just a tech hotbed of discussions and also garbage. Mm -hmm. So there have been a number of heated discussions, not just in people talking about different JavaScript frameworks or overall like web application, websites generating frameworks. And uh, the interesting part about it is that like core people in the projects and founders and whatever else are at the heart of said arguments and discussions. So I think that's very interesting. What have you seen? What do you have to say about it?
0: I haven't really seen any of the arguments about it. I've seen a few things recently that make me extremely happy where someone is like, I think it might be time to look at something other than React. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Like there's a lot of cool stuff out right now, but I haven't seen a direct back and forth argument with anyone. Mm. I don't follow anyone involved with Next.js. Next.js. So if those are the people starting the arguments,
1: I'm probably not seeing those. That's bad for you. I mean, whether you agree or disagree with it, I think seeing the conversation is interesting regardless. Yeah. Right. Like you can't just follow Yehuda and then think that you're dialed into everything happening in development these days, Robbie.
0: Oh, I know. I follow uh, a lot of the astro people and uh, that's mainly it these days. Like I'm not really following... Still so have the few Ember people, of course, and they chime in on some things. And then. Okay.
1: I don't know. Yeah. Cause I mean, I remember a while ago, Yehuda had some discussion and debate with uh, the View, the guy from View. I forget his name offhand. So. Yeah. Evan Yu. I don't think it makes sense. You know, just about inner workings and, uh, you know, what's good for the web and whatnot. But that feels like that's been a little while. I think that was all mm-hmm. around like the View 3 release. And then. Yeah. A few months ago, there was some discussions between Next.js and uh, Remix group about some things happening there and, you know, best ways forward and that kind of stuff. Some, like, call-outs around that. And then more recently, so Next thirteen was a massive, like, event releasing. It felt like an Apple event for me. It was interesting, like, the way they would, like... Go to these pre recorded videos in and in a fancy office scenario. And I was like, when is Tim Cook coming up to tell us about the next iPhone? I don't know. <laughs> but it wasn't that. It was about Next 13. And it sounds interesting. And then there were a lot of claims being made. And then there were some disputes around those claims. And it's sort of like, what is the next best way forward? And one of those things was like, Guillermo had like a chart up and very loosely referenced other zero JS frameworks and like what's actually faster. And then there was a rebuttal to that and then some lengthier discussions. And it just seems like people chose their favorite sports team and then started like tackling on to, you know, what what it was. It's just really what it felt like, like now, Forget you, the Green Bay Packers are the greatest football team ever. And, you know, I don't know a reference of what would be the greatest football team ever. So I chose a sport that I don't know anything about. Yeah, they're not bad. I digress, meaning like, yeah, there was a lot of debate about what is the next best thing in web application development. And it's interesting, though, too, you know, because we've talked about, I think, a point of view on this show a few times around like it's really funny. It's kind of coming Full circle and now multi-page apps Mm -hmm. are kind of a thing again. And because we're like, oh, we actually trust the servers we're paying money for to do some of the heavy lifting for us that are offloading to our clients. But there was more recent talk to the, you know, the opposition saying, well, maybe that's not great because Mm -hmm. it's at the expense of page transitions and a lot of. You're depending upon cash a bunch, too, and a lot of other very complicated things. And, you know, it was the right thing to do to offload to the client because that's free computing power. And right. You know, I don't know.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of arguments on both sides. And I've seen people posting various arguments about like you have to consider your user's device and network speed. And some people, you know, we're we have good internet generally as developers in the United States, not all the time, but we're usually not on like a one megabit 3g or less connection in like the middle of some country that has that. I'm not sure (laughs) who has that problem still, but like I know that's a big thing where it's like, you know, how much is the server shipping to you? So like that could be, a thing. Or then also if the server is shipping you all the JavaScript and then your device needs to parse it and you have a cheap phone with no service, it's probably likely it's not going to parse it and execute it as quick as maybe your server would too. So like there's arguments on both sides for that. And it's, I don't know that anyone knows the quote unquote right answer right now, but it's definitely a lot of arguments.
1: Yeah. I bet the right answer is it depends Oh yeah, because I bet it Like, what is your app, you know? Are you a news site that people worldwide are trying to consume? And then perhaps then, you know, your users get to an article and they don't really care about the next thing because they're not acting, they're consuming. I don't know. I mean, that's a guess possibly, but uh, I think it depends potentially, but um, yeah. I don't know if you're in that context, right? Do you care about pretty page transitions? I don't know. I thought well, page transitions—that is a big thing—are more like a nice to have, right? That's a, yeah, yeah, but it's a progressive enhancement, not necessarily a right, you know, a feature loss for your users per se.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is nice browser things, transitions, animations, etc. But I think something that people kind of gloss over a bit is what exactly your server-side rendering is doing. Like, is it a... Like, Astro is build time going to basically take all of your JavaScript out and build the most basic HTML it can. You know, it's doing the loops in the build time. So it just spits out a ton of HTML mostly. Like, sometimes you have a little bit of JavaScript. But if you're doing that... I think that would be more performant than like an edge server needing to run like serverless functions to execute your things. You know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily build time. It's like request time. I'm going to like quickly build the thing, but Astro it's already built by the time you deployed it. So I'm getting that thing back. You know what I mean?
1: So I I think that's the idea between like incremental static generation or whatever that is like the next thing, which is saying like, how about some of both, which is like, You know, some critical things are build time. Some other things maybe are server-side, less frequent, less important in that sense. And some of them become static eventually once they're requested. But so they'll be kind of slow the first time for X user and then they go to the edge and start to join the rest of everything else. I don't know. I mean, if you basically raise millions, billions of dollars or whatever around creating a hosting service (laughs) and building technology specifically for that, you certainly have a sword to fall on, right? Like you're accountable to that. And so admitting that it's not the end all be all, of course, would be detrimental to to those things. Yeah. I would guess. I don't know. I'm not in that position.
0: Yeah, that's weird. We don't have a multi-billion dollar server platform
1: yeah you're incentivized to champion
0: let's also uh i didn't watch the presentations i don't know if you watched them or just saw snippets on twitter but some of both i know they were like webpack is dead we're using turbo pack it's the successor like right you know just shitting on everything and then they were also like it's like i don't know whatever the metric was 10 times faster than veet and it's like yeah. okay but veet compiles everything in zero 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 nine seconds so you do it in zero 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 one seconds i can't perceive either of those yeah like, chill the fuck out
1: well yeah exactly it's like the wrong metric yeah i did see that on twitter too where it's like well that's not a you know a very positive metric when you say that like we make each other better yeah when you can say just as well it's three times faster than our last builds and that's also still true and still feels pretty good I did feel a little attacking in ways. And also Turbo Pack is alpha software, right? So it actually isn't, you know, they're announcing a thing that for many use cases isn't production ready. Mm -hmm. And it just works for Next.js right now, right?
0: Like they're, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. They're just self-serving entirely here. Like, of course they are. I don't know the history, but I think Vite was kind of done by Vue people ish like yeah or at least was adopted by the view community yeah first
1: yeah that was its first proving ground
0: but it also was built like agnostic to where like everything can be built on it it's just like you know gulp or webpack or roll up or any you know insert thing here that you can use for everything yeah so like i think anything proprietary built for like just next js is kind of like okay well we're you say we're a community and we're all helping each other out and we're the SDK for the web or whatever. Right. But like, we're not going to help any other frameworks or like whatever like that. And and you're definitely going to have to use React.
1: And then, (laughs) again, raising lots of money to incentivize your for-profit business, utilizing open source. I mean, you're leveraging open source contributions. Now, you know, they've hired tons of people and they're paying people and all that stuff as well. Well. So there's no shit talk around that, but... Well, they've hired prolific people in the space. OK, let's say that like people work there.
0: Yeah. But then they've probably turned all of their projects to their will is what I assume. They don't let them continue to do what they want. I could be wrong. I could be wrong.
1: I don't know. But that was the argument, though, made against Remix now that they are Shopify requ- uh, acquired is that, oh, now these things are going to get turned to benefit the company.
0: Well, that's fine. They're getting money.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, they're getting money. Why is that a bad thing? How many other companies are using Remix? Yeah. I was going to say, don't use Remix, I guess. That's such a bad thing for you. Like, you know, when an open source project gets corporate sponsorship, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Isn't that what we've talked about? Like trying to make these contributions be meaningful to the people that put something into it in some way. And sometimes that's the way that happens. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's just circle back to the T argument of like, Why doesn't every company just pay every open, like, you know, drop however many millions in the, we appreciate you open source bucket and it will trickle down to all of your things. Yeah. Because that's the only way you can make sure everyone gets compensated. Like if you're using a little tool that you don't even realize, but it's like a dependency of a thousand of your packages, that person's probably like, well, shit, like I'm, Not getting any money because everyone's sponsoring these packages that use me, but they would all not work without my
1: package. Like, where's my cut, you know? Yeah, yeah, because I'm the unknown whatever. And yeah, so that's a good kind of tree there. Although it almost feels like multi-level marketing. But uh, (laughs) for open source, you know, where do you get on the tree? And it all trickles down to you. And use my package so that they get consumed by everything. Anyway, I I think it's a good model, at least a good model to, like, attempt rather than say we can't solve this. So... Mm -hmm regressing back a little bit, that's what I like about our friends at, at Astro is that it starts as like, let's scale back to the things that work well. Let's build static sites, get it into our build tools, make things like work in ways that you're familiar with. And then boom, let's make that fast. Okay, you need to add interactivity. Like, let's put that in there and give you options, right? They haven't attached themselves to any particular option. Uh, and so you can sprinkle that in with, just JavaScript or add your framework du jour or whatever. Yeah, which is like, you know, way, way back when
0: React and Vue kind of first came out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what you could do. Like you could run, I'm not sure if you could with React. I know with Vue, you can kind of just run it in the browser. I guess you can with React too, but it's like you could sprinkle that in, like literally put like a script tag to include React in your site or whatever. Absolutely, And use a couple components directly in line in your html and like yep you know not have to do crazy builds and jsx and all the things
1: yeah basically the days where full-on software engineering came to the browser right all the processes and like oh i need to compile what you know you remember you could just like on a page write some you could add a Tag to jQuery and then have this globally available and just write some scripts to do some things on the page. And that was that. Mm-hmm. It's just straightforward like that. What? Oh, okay, the browser reads this just like this. You don't have all these abstractions and you need it to be smart and how it imports modules and all of that. And like, sure, that's fine. That's things we appreciate. But reality is, at the end of the day, your browser, it does those things, it reads those things. Mm-hmm. Which is honestly what we want. Like
0: JavaScript is meant to be the polyfill until the browser implements Mm. things. So like it got a little crazy because we realized how much we could do with it and we've outpaced how quickly browsers can just implement things natively. But the more things you can use from native APIs, the quicker it'll just like, it'll just do it immediately instead of needing to parse all your JavaScript for three or four seconds or whatever it might take
1: and then execute So is there an argument then to say, okay, we're going to start trusting the browser more and, you know, having a build time or no time whatsoever. Like WebAssembly is the argument for just WebAssembly to actually be the deep web application language of choice. You know, should be like thinking about something else instead of wedging our other tools around this. Possibly. I haven't shipped a WASM site myself, so I don't
0: know. I mean, I know the benefits are it's supposed to execute faster, but I don't know other than that, like there's probably some downfalls, like things that don't work the same as they do in JavaScript or something.
1: Right. But I don't know. There are uh, JavaScript to WASM compilers. So another interesting thing, if you want to use this language, familiar language and then end up with those things, you can do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that, uh, whenever wasm came out it was kind of a big thing like they had ember Conf, they had a uh wasm version of the what do you call it the schedule for the day mm. and so that was fun to play with of like oh here's the wasm version it didn't necessarily seem like crazy faster because the normal one was fast already yeah but uh it was there so there you go somebody just
1: wanted to prove they could do it yeah it was hot then and they're like yeah.
0: oh let's uh let's show that we can do this.
1: Hot. It's true. So just you wonder what the uptake is going to be at that point and how necessary it is. I'm sure it has a use case like many other things. And then at a certain point, maybe your site is brochureware and you don't really need that, right? You just need to know how to write HTML. And then if you want to add tools on top of that, great.
0: Yeah, I would imagine it would be. Very useful for smaller utility type things to make it, you know, all these things that you're kind of building, the building blocks for your site could be extra fast and easier to execute or whatever. But then when you're tying the site together, you might need real JavaScript and be able to like do
1: some different things food for thought future episodes as we
0: yeah go down the rabbit hole of things. Yeah. Maybe we can find someone that uses it yeah. in some kind of production
1: site and they can tell us what it's good for. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. So yeah, if you happen to listen and you have been through this scenario, let us know. Come on, let's talk about it. Yep. Let me send you some free booze. Whiskey web and wasm. Wasm. C W applies to so many things. So, yeah, the framework wars seem to be really sparking up. The frequency has increased, and it's one of the many things people are talking about in the community. So it feels like we've kind of done this once before. And, you know, the SPA framework wars early on seems a way like React walked away some kind of clear winners there and all its flavors. Prior to that, we had the browser wars. So... It's interesting, for better or worse, where we're going to land with these things. Each of those wars, I feel like, made some progress for us in the landscape. So what are we going to get here? I'm optimistic. Yeah, I think there are
0: things that I like and dislike from every iteration of whatever wars we have, but there ultimately are beneficial things that come out of all of them. Even if the main direction, like choosing React for 90% of sites, is not something I agree with, a lot of things React did have been brought into other frameworks like the concept of virtual dom and diffing like just changing the part of the dom that changed instead of doing all of it which now react doesn't do ironically because you like Mm -hmm. use a fact or whatever and it re-renders the whole thing yeah you end up with like tons of re-renders due to these hooks which is like not great but but what it used to do it was based on like the doom re-rendering engine is what i had always heard where like that was the concept they had in the game doom of like only re-render the pixels that actually needed to change. Hmm. So they got their idea off of that. And then, you know, people went, wow, that's cool. That's a good idea. And then a lot of other frameworks, like basically every framework now, only re-renders the thing that changed. So that was a big win for everyone.
1: Yeah. They don't always do it in a virtual DOM, but in some way, yeah, they've come up with different clever ways to do that. So yeah, that's true. Like the concepts get shared and then people implement differently and, Iterate and all of those things. So, in that sense, I'm optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. So, speaking of Twitter and many other places, the timeliness of this particular podcast is around our world, our area of expertise is uh, commercially burning down a bunch all around us. Twitter employees, I guess tons of them were laid off today in the last few days and weeks to that, but it seems to be also accelerating. Lots of big companies laying off many of their tech staff and other staff Mm -hmm. using this, I don't know, recession thing and economic downturns, although spending stays high. And so, yeah, recession isn't quite there, but that's what I don't get is like every company's laying off
0: 15 or 20% of their people or whatever. So, okay, first, maybe they had too many people. They were hiring like crazy because they had infinite money. They didn't care. Mm -hmm. So, there's a little bit of that correction. But then also it's just like okay so these same companies that are laying everyone off are going to charge me another 10 bucks a month for the service I use from them or whatever like yeah. Hulu Netflix hosting services everything is like sending all these emails out oh it's it's tough times we're going to charge you a bunch more money okay well if everyone just got fired who's going to pay you the more money like yeah You can't have both.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting all kinds of decisions being made on that. Like prices being increased due to recession is what the companies try to say. But then like their earnings postings seem to negate the needs for these things. Right. But nobody cares. It kind of gets away. I
0: think the the hot take here is CEOs want to continue to make $50 million a year or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hmm. That's like, you know, 120 developers we need to fire so that I can keep my money or whatever. And, you know, times the entire C-level suite and VPs and all of that, it just trickles down. And then they raise their prices and make everyone work more to accommodate the work that everyone else was doing. And it's capitalism, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say they're incentivized to make those kinds of decisions so that they can make the most, which is based on their shareholders, doing very well and continuing in a constant upwards trend shareholders don't you know particularly like a reduction you know they're not incentivized to give you a better price to just keep the status quo right they need their abundant bonuses salaries and whatever else yeah and all of that is around that same incentive so, what can you
0: do yeah unless your twitter of course where you're owned by one guy mm-hmm. and he wants to just ruin everything for everyone i have been really enjoying his tweets though where it's like yeah i'm gonna charge all of the uh people that are verified eight mm-hmm. dollars and people are like oh my god eight dollars a month there's no way that like that's so crazy like no one's gonna pay that we don't want that right and uh then other people are like you know what really the problem is Is all the people who are already verified and went through that process and are like think they're hot shit are like I don't want other people to be able to pay eight dollars and also get that thing I have. Yeah,
1: there's the exclusivity. That's the main problem. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, (laughs) I did like he posted a funny meme where it was like person looking at like an eight dollar Starbucks drink. Yeah, I saw. Like, yay! And then eight dollars for the thing, and they're like "Mm, angry.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is ironic. Eight dollar Starbucks drink enjoyed for thirty minutes. Very happy. $8 for a month of Twitter. Super angry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And
1: you don't have to pay it also. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not going to pay it. I don't care. Yeah. I'm barely back on the platform. I see it being a slippery slope because
0: they're saying they're going to like prioritize those people's comments and posts and stuff. So like someone made an argument that it will allow like state propaganda to... Mm prioritize their lies and like post whatever they want and like get more views, you know, which could be a big problem. But I also think that like, I'm not sure if that will get put up with or not, or if Elon would just shut that down
1: immediately. Right. I don't know. We don't know. We know what it was. So that's just it, right? We know what we know currently and we don't know what perspective changes could mean. So at the end of the day, the business wasn't really viable on its own so yeah that's also his job to come in as a private owner to make it viable like it's not a state-owned newspaper or media outlet I mean it is just a a box people can yell in yeah so
0: I'm very very curious because I feel like I never know what Elon's thinking like for him this could just be he needed a incredibly huge loss for taxes or something maybe you know like i need to buy this thing and then run it into the ground because i need to like not pay as much tax this year or whatever i don't know i have no idea i do think regardless of whether his intentions are pure or not with any of the things he does
1: he is a shrewd businessman who knows what he's doing so proof's in the pudding i suppose when you have a number of successful businesses you can't Can't really argue with that. You don't have to personally like the person. Yeah. I feel like there's lots of very rich people that aren't necessarily likable, you know?
0: I think that's most of them. Yeah, right. Not that I hate them, but most of them I'm not like, wow, you would
1: be a cool person to be friends with. Yeah, I'd love to sit down and have a whiskey with you. Like, most of them I would say probably not. Yeah. I don't know. Definitely not Jeff Bezos. No.
0: He's just mad that Elon beat him to... Rocket ships. Right, exactly.
1: (laughs) Might be first, but won't be the most successful.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that is one problem. If Elon can get everyone to Mars, but Amazon won't ship stuff on their rockets to
1: Mars, how do you get your stuff on Mars? Yeah. (laughs) It's another disruption model there. Yeah. You should have participated, Bezos. All of a sudden, you're bankrupt. He's not going to ever be bankrupt. Yeah, probably not. Because I keep ordering stuff there because I'm lazy. Like, the problem is... You know, we have probably
0: only like two or three legitimate hosting solutions for all of everything that you can build apps and websites on. And there are a lot of choices, but most of them are built on top of Amazon services. So if you look at the ones that aren't like, even if the whole like shipping stuff to my house every day went away, they would have the entire technology side that has like, yeah. An insane amount of people using it to power the entire internet, like everything we have on our computers right now, probably running through Amazon services.
1: Right, and there's a flaw in that, though. Right, there's definitely a monopoly to it to a degree. And uh, oh yeah, you know when when AWS goes down, half the internet goes down. Like that's true, mm-hmm. very true. Did you see the DHH article where he's like, would they're going back to like on prem? stuff instead of renting someone else's computers he's like there's you no know, oh, really diminishing gains there at a certain point and the cost and support and all this stuff isn't great so yeah which is interesting if you think about it it's basically not sustainable like
0: you know i think a lot of companies do it more sketchy than you would think yeah they have a few like extra machines that they give a static ip and they like host some internal stuff on there like probably nothing client facing or customer facing, I mean, they would probably put that on some real hosting, but that's the thing is like, if you need to have all these edge nodes, right? Like however many hundreds across the world, yeah, it's just prohibitively expensive to do it on your own. Like yeah. if your customer base is, you know, you're a a clothes washing service in Massachusetts and you want to host an app just for Massachusetts, right? Like that's a problem you could solve easily. But if you're even United
1: States wide, it becomes pretty expensive to have all that many servers. Yeah, well, and so I obviously don't know the in-depth details of their infrastructure, but like they basically use a company out of Chicago with on-prem hardware managed by that company. So to a degree, sort of, but they buy the hardware still. So like... You know, Basecamp owns the hardware, hmm. thirty seven signals, whatever. They just don't own the building it's in. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like in a data center, huh. and you do pay some people to do like the managed bit to it, but like you design your setup and and pay for the hardware and everything. Isn't that what like Rackspace was like? Yeah. I think that's basically what Rackspace was like. Which I don't know if they're around anymore or not, but I remember I don't know. They had an office in uh Blacksburg. Mm, I was gonna say we you know, when I was at Isogenics many years ago, we uh speaking of MLMs, uh yeah, we used Rackspace for a lot of our stuff. We had a few things on prem, but I think it was mostly like intranet versus like you said, customer facing stuff. Yeah.
0: I remember before it was the thing to just buy Amazon servers, I would look at like huge racks and like you could buy those mac server things to like rack in there and they would be i don't know 20 grand each or something i was just like i don't know what i would ever use this for but i want
1: this thing yeah yeah (laughs) i know that's like the next level of my home lab you know i need to like go from a little desktop dell that my brother gave me to an actual like rack server that'd be pretty fun yeah well after setting up
0: the office stuff with like the firewall and switch and all the things in the rack like I'd probably do that at my house one day, depending on where we
1: end up. And if I have enough ethernet I was wire, say if you ever stayed in one, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, running, I, I saw an article recently about like running fiber through your house, Hmm, which would be interesting.
0: That seems error prone, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it stops working because you crimped one little piece too much
1: or something. Yeah very directional and all that kind of stuff yeah so it's like not as idiot proof
0: yeah because i tend to like start running it through the wall and if it doesn't move you just
1: shove it really hard you know that's not what you do with fiber you know what that's what i wanted i have you know one of those mesh wi-fi networks but i would love to move some stuff around so i think i need to uh, run yeah i think i need to run ethernet through my house yeah i mean cat six or i guess the it's
0: like eight now. Is it? But six is is very sufficient. Six is like up to yeah. four gigabits or something. Like speeds you're not going to get from your service provider for a
1: while. Yeah. Seems like more than sufficient. Yeah. And plus, like maybe uh, add some home value to have yeah. Ethernet ports in each room or whatever. Well, even
0: just for your mesh network, it makes a big difference if they're plugged directly together versus wirelessly talking.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that would be another... Like, plus side, yeah, doing that. And like I said, I don't like the location of where my internet service provider put things. Mm. I wish they were somewhere else. So, having some ports to move around and put things where I want them to be would be useful, I think. Yeah. So, uh,
0: we have, I think, like five or six Eros. Mm. Like, that's our mesh thing. And, uh, yeah, we had, um, I forget what it was called now, but we had like internet that was line of sight beamed to us so it was mm. like 10 mbps and it was like 300 dollars a month Oof. it was awful but it was our only choice so we just got starlink mm. which is awesome because it's maybe not as reliable just yet because i wasn't actually supposed to get it i was just on the waiting list and it was like you might get it by the end of 2022 and i was wasn't getting it wasn't getting it and i was like it's almost the end of 2022 what's going on So, I went in and just like paid for a business one and was like, all right, I'm going to get the business one. I'm going to pay you a ton of money. Mm -hmm. That one still didn't ship or do anything. But like within a day after I did that, I got an email about the personal one and it was like, we understand some people don't have any choice in internet, even though we're not really available in your area. Do you want a like our best effort service type of deal? And I was like, Yes. yes, please. Yeah. So, they sent it to me and... Like, our max was, like, 10 Mbps before, and, like, the highest I've gotten so far Starlink Starlink's, like, 83. So, it's, like... Not bad. Eight times faster. Yep. And uh, I think it's 150 bucks a month or something, so, like, half the price. And the only issue so far is they don't give you an Ethernet port, so they give you, like, a router, and you have to connect wirelessly to it. So, I had to order an adapter mm-hmm. that I have to plug in to then get an Ethernet port and use my Eros. So... We'll see what the real performance around the house is after I do all that. but Very interesting. So far, it's promising.
1: All right. Yeah, line of sight technology is hot garbage. I worked mm-hmm. for, uh, I don't know, a startup doing that in Phoenix 2002 or three or something like that. It was interesting because, like, there was a decent amount of clients, even, like, downtown, because there wasn't good like cable or anything else really run at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. Lots of that has changed. And then of course, rural areas as well, as you know, that's a similar situation, but they essentially would like buy a T1 line somewhere, run it up as high as they can, put that antenna out and then do specific directional antennas at the source to get the signals and right. It broke all the time and people were really mad all the time. And yeah, it was just like a mess. Yeah. I just can't imagine how much better that would get. It's like,
0: I don't think it's much better now. It usually goes out at least a couple times a day. And usually by the time you actually get someone from support, it's come back. So it's like, you just got to deal with it. Yeah. Most of the time I would log in remotely and reboot
1: for people. And then it would, work
0: yeah and i think it's uh even though we're supposed to get like 10 mbps i think it's like usually five or less and it's just been crazy because i used to like start up disney plus right Mm. and i would have to wait for i didn't time it but i'd say two or three minutes before like all of the thumbnails would load and now it's just like apps booted so
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's so much better yeah so worth it For convenience. Well, you know, life on the farm. Yeah. A very specific thing you chose. Yeah. I mean, that was
0: one of our biggest complaints. Some of the other things were like some of our bathrooms were outdated and stuff, but we just finished redoing those. So...
1: You put them indoors?
0: They were outhouses and (laughs) you brought brought indoor plumbing into... No. So they were... um, We thought they were original to the house. The house was built in 1989. Hmm. And I think they basically were... However, they did this thing that I didn't know existed where you can like pour this stuff over your tile and it makes it like they had like red tile because it was like the 80s and they thought that was cool. So they right. painted it white, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. When you can kind of paint over the tile, but it's not just like normal paint. It ends up being like it's this thick and plastic layer. Yeah. yeah it, like basically
0: creates a hard candy shell. Yeah. So we had no idea. We thought it was just like a weird flooring that they had put down. But then they started, like, jackhammering it up. And they're like, yeah, this is red tile. <laughs> so, uh, that was interesting. But, um, yeah, so we we redid a couple of bathrooms. We're not doing one of them because we never use the upstairs. But okay. Caitlin is now being like, oh, you know, we've done a lot of stuff in the house. We have better internet. Like, I'm not as unhappy out here anymore. She still doesn't like that uh, we're really
1: far from stuff. But yeah,
0: we're enjoying
1: it a little more now. Yeah, you can tolerate it. So... I think you wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, down speaking of down on the farm, you went down the, uh, explorative route of vintage four wheel drive vehicles and found your experience to be, eh, okay. Well, so the problem, I bought a scout because I think the
0: scouts are like somewhat better looking than Broncos, even though Broncos are more popular. So I got that purely on looks like I know nothing about this truck. I think it looks cool. I'm gonna buy it. Turns out when you buy a thing online that you know nothing about, it's likely that the person that owned it before did a lot of work to it in their garage and did all of it wrong. Mm. So I got it and everything was wrong. Like they had flipped the axle to lift it without actually buying a lift kit. Like stuff like that where you're you wouldn't want that. Yeah. So we undid all of that janky stuff and like redid most of that stuff, and it was probably eighty percent good, but like getting someone to do all that work is expensive. So then, you know, I spent a decent chunk of money and then was still left with a truck that like didn't drive all that great. Hmm. It was probably par for the course for other people that own that truck that didn't put tons and tons of money into like literally top to bottom redos. Now you're going to buy another truck. You didn't uh,
1: test drive though. So,
0: well, yes, but they do things like very meticulous. Like it's a, The flooring in the um, Scout, for example, was just metal, like the the body of the truck. This, the new Bronco I'm getting is going to have four layers of like, there's like a sound dampening layer, a something else, a like jute layer and then carpet. Like little details like that are like done all the way around the truck of like it has heated seats. It has like a nice top. It has like better suspension, all the stuff.
1: Yeah, what you want and what you didn't experience before is you want, like, an old-looking truck. You want creature comforts, though. Yes. Old cars aren't usually creature comforts. So, you resto mod that is, like... Yeah,
0: I want air conditioning.
1: Yeah. Yeah, all the things. So, like, this, basically,
0: uh, the company that's doing it for me does all of that stuff standard. It's, like, you can choose a couple of options. Like, I chose to do white wheels and bumpers and the roll cage will be white Mm, right but other than that it's like basically like oh and the you choose obviously the base color it's going to be green the classic
1: bronco green yeah
0: like the seafoam green cap it's boxwood green yeah those are cool is what they
1: they call it whatever
0: they had that and like the other classic colors Brittany blue which is kind of like a light blue not just your favorite pop star no (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so like i'm hoping this will be a much better product obviously it probably won't be you know amazing ride quality because it's not a new car but right it should be at least a lot quieter and a little bit better driving and hopefully a lot less just blowing gas out of the tailpipes like the, <laughs> the scout did literally just like
1: not even burning gas it's just yeah. dripping gas out and
0: i would start it and there would be like literal like clouds of wet
1: like just all over the so instead of having like a key and ignition to start it yeah what you'd have to do with your previous truck is take a pile of money and and then light it on fire <laughs> and then it would come to life right and that's yeah essentially yeah. what that experience was for you yeah from start to finish
0: yeah and then even once the the key start worked it uh you would go to start it and it would just be turning over, turning over. I mean, like a classic car would. And you have to, like, give it some gas and eventually it'll, like, start to go. And then it wouldn't ever, like, the idols would stay really high. And you had to give it a ton of gas to get it to, like, realize, oh, it's, like, good and, like, cut back down. And, like, there was a lot
1: of timing issues and stuff, so. Right. Yeah. But I sold it, so. Hmm. <laughs> you sure did. Pass passed that on. Mm-hmm. You went to the marketplace where everybody overpays for vehicles, even like 1990 Celicas, and somehow lost money.
0: Yeah, but they bought it for basically the money I put into it. So, like, they got a good deal, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's got a lot of work left to go, I think they got a very good deal.
1: I agree with that. And I really thought that, like, you had a lot of positive comments within the thread. So, I was like, somebody's going to step up here and really... You make a show, but
0: I think the problem was the timing because I talked to the guy who bought it and he had bid on like three or four other scouts and lost most of them or all of them, I guess, until this one. Mm-hmm. Right. But one of them, he said, ended at like six thirty on Friday. Like people were off work, maybe had a drink or two and were like, I'm a bid this way up. Like, yeah, yeah. so mine ended at like. One thirty or two or something in the middle
1: of like a Wednesday, or like uh, people
0: were working and not paying attention, so that's true. I think that
1: makes a big difference, yeah, sometimes you and you get busy or you in a meeting or whatever you are doing, and mm-hmm. like, oh crap, I couldn't get to that, and then it's gone, yeah, that was actually at a deal, so
0: plus all of the people that were just sitting around with piles of cash to
1: buy these old cars lost their jobs, so <laughs> turns out recently uh it's uh i don't know i'm i'm still waiting for a turn in that market it's like yeah you know the classic car market it's prices shot up like crazy cars across the board but it was just like yeah How is everything with a porsche on the front how are they all seventy thousand dollars <laughs> no matter what like this one's got rust in the floor 70 grand yeah it's a real project car
0: yeah that was so funny it would be uh like bring a trailer would have one it would be like 10 or 20 grand and there'd be like four minutes left and it would go for a hundred thousand like
1: yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like was, what like, who is bidding on this thing what is happening here yeah it's yeah pretty crazy so uh i think you want to talk about some tv shows none of which i have seen i mm. I tried to start you haven't seen any of these uh i haven't i tried i've to... seen peaky blinders oh sorry trying to finish peaky blinders i haven't tried the new season yet though so the last season yeah I gotta, yeah, I gotta prime myself up to, like, get ready to understand what the hell he's saying. Yeah. In most episodes, so. i found that I
0: can't turn it up loud enough to understand them. Mm. <laughs> like. Okay. I just accept that I'm only gonna understand every, like, two or three words, and I, I get the gist. Yeah. It's more about the action, anyway. Yeah, it's more about him just, like, killing or maiming people
1: as much as he can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like turn of the 20th century irish mafia so yeah kind of thing it's pretty satisfying and or i've started twice and fell asleep and i you know i love star wars so i don't know why it would be a thing that keeps happening but it definitely has Mm. and uh that's disappointing so what do you think you know it's worth it i just watched the first
0: episode so far Mm. because i watched the first episode and then remembered i hadn't finished beaky blinders which is much more exciting so i started watching that right But uh, yeah, it was good. It's like, it's different in that there's no like Star Wars stuff that you're used to. Like I haven't seen any stormtroopers or Jedis or like, it's just about like a normal dude. Yeah. Going about his, we're not really sure what he's doing. He was like looking for his sister or whatever in the first episode. It seems interesting. I think it's, it's not as compelling because it doesn't have all the, like things you're comfortable with from the star Wars universe. It's more just like a show mm. that happens to have like the same kind of blasters they have in star Wars, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, I don't know. I'll have to get a few more episodes in and see. It's definitely not the Mandalorian, which is amazing. Yeah. But it's not bad.
1: I liked Obi-Wan too. I don't know if you like oh, yeah. Obi-Wan. I know people were split on that, but for me it was it delivered. I liked that. Um, Yeah, I've been watching uh, the latest season of Cobra Kai. So Hmm. I haven't
0: started any of those. Hmm. So I was never a uh, karate kid person. So I don't know if I would enjoy it. I mean, does it hold up on its own or is it more fun for like nostalgia type of stuff? It's more
1: fun because like so many characters come back and stuff like they basically like revisited with everyone from that time. And one of the, the original protagonists are like John Kreese and then later what's his name something silver Uh, sensei silver so yeah people later and different people he fought and were friends and all that kind of stuff i don't know that it would stand on its own i feel like it's campy and has nostalgia to it and that's kind of the appeal so if you weren't a child of the 80s during karate kids heyday you you probably won't find a lot uh, in it okay that's fair yeah let's skip it for you anyone else who find a gen xer should definitely watch it Yeah, uh, the
0: things next on my list, I went through, I mean, we're past spooky season now, I guess, but Mm -hmm. I went through Netflix's shows and just, like, added a bunch of stuff to my list for, like, stuff that was spooky. Like, there's, I forget what it's called now, but it's by the people that, like, did the Haunting of Hill House. They have, like, a few shows in that universe, I guess. Right. and, And it's, like, about a priest that, like, moves to a town and, like, miracles start happening or something. But I think it's, the twist is that he's, like, a demon or something you know like Mm. it's not good miracles Hmm. but i don't know i'm I'm gonna watch that at some point because i totally missed my window of spooky season so i'm gonna watch it anyway i see
1: yeah (laughs) i don't know i watch a lot of spooky i do want to see sandman which is another it's underwhelming really for me yeah did you read the comics no are you a neil gaiman fan okay i feel like because i like those things i might be into it but
0: yeah. No, it's it's not bad. It's just like when you have a buy Netflix, like, is it a, I forget, is it like Marvel Universe or? A,
1: it's a DC character, but there's no intertwining with the other characters, I think. So, it's kind of its own thing. Right. But I mean, usually when there's
0: like a, you know, DC or Marvel or something where it's like, this is a, this universe, I'm like, it's usually pretty good. Right. Mm, right. But I found it like the first couple episodes were really good. Then there was like a lot of, just kind of dragged on and it wasn't great. I haven't finished it, so it might get better, but yeah. I didn't dislike it. I'll say that, but I, it's not like I'm going to finish everything else I'm watching first and then I'll come back to it. So,
1: yeah, Basically, when you need some filler, you'll kind of come back kind of thing. Yeah. Well, if you like superhero things, I just got an email, I think, yesterday about uh, the new season of DC Titans. So Titans on HBO Max. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you ever followed like the Teen Titans was like the comic side of it, but this is definitely a skewed more adult and it's the whole like other superhero group with like, were the sidekicks and teens of the main universe. And now mm. they started their own, like Robin, when he left Batman, he started the Titans. Oh
0: yes. I saw that where there's like, it's like four people from like Batman ish, but it's like not Batman, like Batman has died or something. And like, that's the premise. No, he isn't. Die- um, I've seen something where it's like, what do you do when like the... When he's dead or whatever and i think that i think that's about what it is like that the four other people well it's not what it's about step up because he's dead or or maybe he left and faked his death i don't know it, but it's like it shows a funeral
1: scene and then it's like here's these four other people right that's not necessarily the context though the context is like that dick grayson outgrows batman he has another philosophy and they have a falling out but then like He's you know, Batman's still sort of there as like a mentor from time to time or like hmm. just someone he could check in with. But he's left Gotham and gone on to like the West Coast and started his own superhero team versus like the Justice League kind of thing. A little more vigilante like and all that kind of stuff.
0: Oh, maybe that's it then. That he like left. Maybe the funeral scene had nothing to do with the real premise. But that I was yeah watching it in like an ad on Twitter. And I just saw like a funeral and it was like, what do you do when the bat is gone or something like that? So I thought he had died or like whatever, but
1: right. Well, no. And then he has like overlaps and interactions with the second uh, Robin, Jason Todd and how that goes awry and all kinds of stuff. And he becomes during Hmm. the course of this, like he's, uh, you know, he becomes Nightwing too, which is like his more, he's no longer like. Batman's sidekick. He's not Robin anymore. There's a new Robin. He's Nightwing. There's all of that, too. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I think it's good. I recommend it. I watched all of Gotham and
0: really enjoyed it. So
1: Hmm. you'll like this then. It's very good.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah, we are over time. We are over time. So everyone watch your favorite superhero shows. Mm -hmm. And also while you're at it, go to your podcast player of choice and press five stars on this podcast mm-hmm. and we'll give you even more stuff you don't care that much about like the next superhero show that comes out before the next one mm-hmm. and uh we'll
1: talk to you then thanks for listening to whiskey web and whatnot this podcast is brought to you by Shipshape and produced by podcast royale if you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe
0: to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about Shipshape and this show, check out our website at Shipshape.io.